Pastor was the best man in my wedding, and um, two years later, they're laughing because they know I still need some therapy because <clears throat> two years later when he got married, I was not the best man in his wedding, but he had a little brother, and you know, I, you didn't want him to, his little brother, if they'd have, you know, really, I should have been the best man, but... His little brother would have been in therapy the rest of his life. He'd have been scarred for life. Me, after three counseling sessions, I was good. So, uh, <clears throat> but uh, this and this is the way we've been for years. And so he preaches for, for me and when I'm gone and away and he comes in and helps out. Thank you all for releasing him to do that for me. I have very few friends that I trust like that and he's one of them. So thank you all for the times that you've released him to come and be with us uh, when I, for some reason, was not able to be there. And I'm happy to be with you. I want you to go with me this morning to 1 Samuel 30. And I'll read a bit to you, and I'll share a bit with you. 1 Samuel 30, and um, I'm going to read quite a bit of this. And you all, I'm a little old school. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version of the Bible. And uh, I did not know that, I saw 2016 faster up here, and so I did not even realize that as the Lord was kind of speaking to me about this message, but it kind of all comes together. Tell you something else that kind of comes together too, and that is the strong emphasis that you all have always had, but lately have had on worship. Because what you're going to find is, and maybe we'll get into some of that in the in the message today, is that every time there is a challenge, there are three phases that we go through in a challenge. The first phase, even for the Christian, is worry. Seriously, y'all going to really do me that way? As if there was no reason for Paul to write to the Philippians in Philippians 4, 4, 5, and 6 and say rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit, verse 5, be known unto all men. Verse 6, be anxious. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto God. And then the peace of God that passes understanding will keep your heart and your mind by Christ Jesus. Do you think he just said that just to make noise? No, he said it because our first response, the human response to everything that happens is to worry first. Even the believer. But what transitions us from worry to a word is worship. If you can, if you can resist the temptation to worry and instead worship, worship will bring you to a word from God. Say amen if you can. And we discover this here in First uh, Samuel 30 because even King David, so some of you will be easier for you to admit your moments of worry when you see what good company you're in. Uh, because even uh, David, the greatest king that we've ever known, uh, he struggled with worry, but what transitioned him from worry to a word was worship. 
And so when you turn your heart to God, surrender to God, and worship Him, the word worship means to bow the will to. When you bow your will to God, then you recognize that no matter what is going on, when I bow my will to Him and worship, there's a word for me in this. And there's no victory without a giant. There's no, there's no, there's no victory without a conquest. First Samuel 30 and verse 1, if you have that, say amen. Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. They took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone. So underline that if you've got an actual Bible, which I know only 3% of you do. But if you could highlight that on your iPhone or your iPad, and if you're using your phone for anything other than the word right now, I'm praying that you'll have a Samsung Note 7 moment and it'll blow up. <clears throat> Hallelujah. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone and carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Tap your neighbor and say, that's a reason to worry right there. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. Moreover, David was greatly distressed. That's a real nice biblical word for worried. David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Always note that it doesn't say he strengthened himself. When we were growing up in church, King James has encouraged himself. We would say, remember now, David had to encourage himself. That's not what the Bible says. Encouraging yourself is just positive thinking. That's mind over matter. That's just uh, that's just you trying to get it together and feeling better. But he didn't just encourage himself. He encouraged himself in the Lord his God. He didn't just say it's going to be okay. He got in the presence of God until God said it's going to be okay. He encouraged himself in the Lord. He worshipped. Wow. Now watch what happens after that. Then, somebody shout, then. Then, then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, please bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this band? You see what he's done? He's gone from worship. He was, uh, he, he, he was greatly distressed, uh, to, uh, he's gone from worry, greatly distressed. Now he went to worship. He encouraged himself in the Lord, and now he's running after God for a word from God. How many of you in your worship experience, more and more, you're wanting a word from God? You recognize your need for direction from God. So David inquired of the Lord, needed a word from the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he said to him, pursue, for you will surely overtake them, and you will surely rescue all. Did you see that? Pursue, for you will surely overtake them, and you will surely rescue all. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, came to the brook Besor, uh, who, those who, left, who were left behind, they remained. But David pursued, he and 400 men, for 200 were too exhausted to cross the brook 
Besor, they remain behind. Now, if you just let your eyes fall down to verse 18, it says, or actually 17, David slaughtered them from the twilight until the evening of the next day. Wow, that's definitely R-rated. David slaughtered them from the twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped except 400 men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all. Oh, I love this. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives. But nothing of theirs was missing, whether it was small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that those Amalekites had taken for themselves. David brought it all back. Right there's a good place. Let's give God praise. He brought it all back. No, 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 really, really, guys. You guys thought I said Denzel Washington just walked in the church. I said, no, let's give God praise. Thank you. That's better. Just look at somebody and say, let's get it all back. 2016 may not be the year we get it all back, but it's the year we decide to get it all back. I don't want to fill your mind with ideas and hopes that I don't think we can uh, we can properly found in the word because we don't always understand God's timeline for when things will be completed or when it will all be done. But we can discover timeline with God's timeline for when it gets started. And I believe that now God is starting something in our hearts and in our lives. And I want to tell you the end of the story, then run back to the beginning and then we'll finish it out. The end of the story is that David recovered all. Now, what you have to note in this is that the Amalekites were the fiercest tribe in Canaan. As a matter of fact, it was the Amalekites that God said, and I know this doesn't sound very good, but God said, when you fight the Amalekites, kill them, kill them all. Don't leave any of them. I know that doesn't sound very peaceful, not very United Nation-ish. But that's what he said. But there was a reason he said it. Because they were so fierce. Uh, uh, they were so abusive. Uh, uh, they believed in sacrificing the children of the people that they captured. They believed in totally destroying the wives, the women, the children, everything. They were so destructive in their hearts. But I want you to note that when David got there to the Amalekite camp, they had not touched any of the wives or any of the children or any of the spoils. It is God's way of saying the enemy may capture something that belongs to you, but I'll protect it even while it's in his camp because there's a day of recovery. And when the day of recovery comes, what even what's been lost shall be under the protection of God so that when it's time to get it back, it is unharmed. It, it, it is totally protected. It is totally restored and ready for you to get it all back. Can I tell you that about your peace? Can I tell you that about your joy? Can I tell you that about family members that you've been praying for? God is keeping his hand on all of that until the day of restoration and recovery comes. Hallelujah. God is, God is omnipotent. He's sovereign. He rules and he reigns. And even in the calamity that appears to be outside of the control of God, like the calamity that we see in our nation right now. I mean, think about it, you all. I mean, really, you all? I mean, really, our choices are difficult right now. It's, it's disheartening. 
But did you know that God never gives up control? And everything we're seeing right now, even the worst that we're seeing in our nation right now, God is still in control. And God has a unique and unusual way as a sovereign God of working everything for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose so that ultimately God gets the glory, God gets the praise, God gets the honor and he, he structures, he, he, he architects it all, he engineers it all so that at the end he gets the glory and he gets the praise. Church, I want to reassure you, I said it Friday night, but I want to reassure you that you can't lose hope right now because God does his best work in chaos. In the middle of chaotic situations, somebody should be shouting there because you know there's a bunch of chaos in your life right now. All of us, come on, don't all of us have some chaos. Even the most peaceful looking of you, those of you who have the most peaceful look on your face, but there's chaos in your life somewhere. But God does his best work in chaos. And if God does his best work in chaos, then the best days for you are still ahead of you. Amen. Because God does his best work in chaos. Now, so what I believe God is doing in this hour is that God is releasing a double anointing on the church. And when I say double anointing, I don't mean by that to double the power that we had. No, I mean God is anointing. The word anointing is the word empower. God is empowering the church in two particular areas, and these two areas will be critical for our success in the future. Those two areas that I believe that God is restoring, renewing, and empowering us in are the areas of pursuit and recovery. Pursuit and recovery. The Lord says to David when he asked, should I pursue them? He said, yes, son, you should pursue them and you will recover everything. You pursue and recover. Now, there are a lot of people in the body that want recovery, but if you don't have the heart to pursue, you can't recover what you won't pursue. And you've got to make sure you're pursuing what God calls you to pursue. So they're living in a city called Ziklag. Let's talk about it for just a moment. This city, Ziklag, I don't have time to go through all the Hebrew. Uh, uh, your pastor's a master at that. I'll let him finish this off later. But, in, but when you talk about Ziklag, there are two unique words that are put together to make up Ziklag. Uh, uh, one of those words means to place pressure on something. Now, this particular Hebrew word does not mean just any old pressure, but it's the same word that's used when Delilah pressured Samson to get the secret of his strength. She pressured him in order to extract something from him. Can I say that again? She pressured him in order to extract something from him. Ziklag is a place, and all of us are living in a measure of Ziklag in our own lives, where we're under pressure, but we're not under pressure because God's going to destroy us. We're under pressure because there's something very powerful inside us. There's something very precious inside us, and it's going to take the pressure in order to bring out of us the thing that's inside of us. Not only does Ziklag, there's a word that means the type of pressure that comes that extracts something out, but there's also another word in there that means the type of pressure that you place metals under so that gold, silver, bauxite, which we make our aluminum out of, those things are purified by the heat and then out of the heat comes the purity, the rare jewel or metal that's in there somewhere trapped inside a rock, an ugly rock. But when the pressure and the heat is on, it brings out the best thing that's inside. 
can I tell you about your life and mine that we are living in Ziklag? It is the place where it appears to be the place of loss at times. It appears to be the place where we're getting beat up a little bit. But I want to tell you that God has orchestrated your life because deep down inside you, there is stuff in you that is so good and so powerful and so strong. And only the pressure of Ziklag is going to bring out of you the thing that God's pulling out of your life. I want you to know that there is a metal inside you. There's a rare treasure inside you and it's going to take heat in order to remove the impurities and get the pure thing that God is bringing out of your life at this very moment. And so you're entered a zigzag, a place like David where wives and children have been taken. But when those wives and children are taken, God has never at any moment said it's over. You've lost the battle. God says, no, we're just getting started in the battle. As a matter of fact, I'm going to raise you up out of this place called Ziklag and give you a word from me and cause you to go recover everything that's been taken from you. But you would have never fought the Amalekites if I had not let them do what they did in Ziklag. It is the, it is the conquest of Ziklag, the pressure that pulls out of you, the thing that's deep inside you, the thing that causes you to rise up and be better than you would have ever been without the pressure. Some of you right now, if I gave you the mic, you could testify that you are living in a place in your life right now you would not have been there if it wasn't a place where the little pressure got on you and forced you to become something that you would not have been on your own. As a matter of fact, if I let you and I coached you just a little bit, you would stand up here and thank your enemies for all the blessing they've been to you. Because some of you, your prayer life is completely different because of your enemies. Some of you are saved because of your enemies. Some of you are in this church because of your enemies. They fought you so that they forced you to your knees and forced you to trust God and forced you to believe God. And if it had not been truth is, if it had not been for your enemies, you wouldn't be where you are in God right now. Because God knows how to take the conquest of life and out of it draw something that we never would have walked in before. This building is Pentecostal Tabernacle Ziklag. This place of pressure, this place that's too small, this place that's not big enough, this place, this place forced you to get to other place. If this place hadn't been pressured, you might have stayed here, but you couldn't stay here. You had to get the other place. But can I tell you that God's not finished yet because the same pressure that forced you to do that is going to force you to do something else and then something else and then something else because God knows the human condition. If left alone on our own, we will just sit there and do what we do if we're comfortable. But when there is discomfort, it forces us to consider other possibilities. So David is in Ziklag. He comes home and his boys are not happy. And they wept. The Bible says these men wept until there was no strength left in them to weep. But amazingly, their weeping turned to just straight anger in about five minutes. I mean, how many of you grew up with kids like that who, when they started crying, you got scared because you know they get ready to fight. Ah, I'm going to get you. You know, you, how many of you grew up with kids like that? Your cousin was like that. Maybe you were like that. They don't want you to cry because when you cry, you're going to fight. <laughs> These men, suddenly they turned on David. All of them. So we're going to stone you to death. We're going to kill you. And so worry hit him. 
he was greatly, the Bible says, he wasn't just a little word, he was greatly distressed. But his great distress pushed him into the transitional phase of his moment, which was worship. Then he encouraged himself in the Lord. So he went then from, he had to get somehow from worship to a word. But he could not get from he from worry to a word. But he could not get from worry to a word without going through the process of worship. He could not bypass worship to get to a word. He could not get a word while he was worried. He had to somehow get from worry into worship so that he could get a word from God. And that's precisely what he did. And that's what God calls us to do. He says, okay, I realize that the challenge before you would make you worry. Wave at me if you've ever had a midterm that you were not prepared for. Me too. And finals and everything else that I wasn't prepared for. Actually, I came to a school that I was not prepared for. Period. And so immediately, the situation made me worry. But my worry transitioned me into worship. And when I worshiped, I got a word that says, you're going to pursue and recover all. I couldn't see any of that from where I was. But then once God started to adjust me, then suddenly I saw what God was doing and how God was working this thing out for his glory, for his honor, and for my good. This morning, the only thing I want to help you understand is that the ziklag of your life, the heated place of your life, the pressured place of your life is not going to destroy you. It's literally going to push you into the thing that you would have never walked into if it had not been for that. I also want to tell you that God has not brought you to this place for you to have a lackluster, average, mediocre life. But God brought you to this place because there's more for you than mediocrity. There's more for you than average. There's more for you than just surviving because there's no need of going into the pressure plant where we create iron, where we create aluminum and you just come out with nothing. No, if God puts you there, God's got a plan to bring you into something that you've never seen or known in your life before. If God brought you to this place and God has already engineered and designed you, because here's the deal, God wouldn't have you in the pressure place if you couldn't handle it. Because then it would destroy you. But you're in it because God has already checked you out. Remember what he said? He said, I'll not put more on you than you can bear. That means he's already checked to see if you can handle what you're in. Because if you can't handle what you're in, he won't put you in what you're in. Because he won't put you in more than you can bear. So if you're in it, you can bear it. If you're in it, you can handle it. If you're in it, you've already been pre-tested by God to make sure that you can handle where you are. And so the devil's only hope is to convince you that God's a liar that God told you that but he didn't mean it so right in the middle of it you'll crumble and begin to declare and profess with your own mouth I can't do it I won't make it I'll never get there then he's got you right where he wants you because now you're not only lying about yourself but you're lying against God because God already said I'll never put more on you than you're able to bear so if you're there you can bear if you're in it you can win it if you're making it now you're going to make it to the end God's already predetermined that so for every 
ziklag that God creates, he's already equipped you to come out of it and fight the Amalekites like you never fought them before. He's already designed you for this battle and he's already promised, I'm going to cover the stuff that you're trusting me for. I'm going to keep my hand on that because there's a season and a time for everything. So while you're waiting to get to the Amalekite camp, I'm going to watch over your life. I'm going to watch over their lives. I'm going to keep it until I get you there and it's time for recovery. I'm going to challenge you to do something maybe a little different for you. Would you right in the middle of the message just lift your hands and worship God right at this moment. Would you bless him right here? Thank you, Lord. 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 I know I'm two minutes early, Bishop Kent, but I'm going to release the children now. 928 children are. The children are released. It's 928. So any of the children that want to, the young people that you can be released now. So what does he do? He's in worry. He worships. He calls for the ephod. That's, that's, Hebrew for I need direction from God. So he says, God, and and here's what I want to tell you. Oftentimes the challenge will make you go your own way because of desperation. And so we function or operate without getting direction from God. Or sometimes there's an assumption. Even here, think about it. Put your mind on this for a moment. If the Amalekites have taken your wives and children, then why are we asking God should we pursue? Of course we pursue. But that's often where we make our mistake because sometimes it's not the wrong thing. It's not that we do the wrong thing. We do the right thing at the wrong time because we haven't consulted God for the timeline. And and frankly, sometimes we just do the wrong thing Uh, because the truth is there are some things that you don't pursue. Because some things God removes them from your life. And when God removes them, you don't pursue them. You let them go. Because frankly, some things in our lives are just not good for us. Some people are not good for us. And since you didn't have enough sense to break up with him, God made him break up with you. Since you didn't realize that she was really dragging down your spiritual life and you wouldn't let her go, God made her let you go. And you're in church crying and singing old sad R&B music. (laughs) But you ought to rejoice. Because some things God removes and you just don't pursue that. Because if you spend your energy pursuing what was never God to begin with, you won't have the strength to pursue the thing that God wants you to run after.
oftentimes the thing that God wants us to run after evades us because our focus is on some loss from the past that God actually said, no, 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 actually, no, I don't want you to pursue that. I really want you to let that go. He says, but I want you to come to me so that you know exactly what to pursue and what not to pursue. And so God speaks clearly to David because in this case he should pursue. And when he asked the Lord, should I, God says, not only should you pursue, but I want to tell you now before you get there, you're going to recover everything that's been lost. I want to tell you now before we get there that you're going to recover everything that's been lost. I want to tell you before we get in the battle, because once you get in the battle, it gets tough. How many of you know if David fought them from sundown one day till nearly sundown the next, there were some times in there where he wondered, are we going to make it? Are we going to get through this? Are we going to actually get victory here? The fact, the battle can last so long that you begin to doubt whether we'll win it or not. So I want to do what the Lord did for David before we even get to the Amalekite camp. I want to tell you in advance, not only are we going to recover, but we're going to recover everything because everything that's down there belongs to you and belongs to God and it's got to come back. And so we're going after it. I said, we're going after it. I said, we're going after it. You see, there's got to be this new press in the church to go after what's been lost. There's got to be a press in the church that no longer says, hey, you know, I love our worship. It's good. No, 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 no. But the next time I come to worship, I'm bringing five people with me that need this same worship that I'm getting. Uh, there's got to be something in us that says more than I really love my pastor. He's got a word that says, no, not only does he have a word for me, but he's got a word for my family and the two families down the street. I'm going to get everybody, bring them to church because they need a word from God. At some point, it must become more than an individual religion and it must become a corporate relationship where we say, God, we are in relationship with what you are doing and you have raised us up and called us to go into the Amalekite camp and get everything that he's stolen because it doesn't belong to Amalek anyway. It belongs to God because it belongs to God. God's got his hand on what's in the Amalekite camp, keeping it until the church rises up and goes after the thing that's been lost. Listen, church, we cannot let the devil have our cities. We cannot turn our neighborhoods over to him. We cannot turn our children and our families over and have some come see, come saw added to this as well. You know, that's what's happening in today's world. No, no, no. That's what happens in today's world when God's church is passive. But when God's church is passionate, we go after what's been lost. We recover what's been lost. We understand that we are not filled with the spirit just so that we can show off at church. We are filled with the spirit so that out of that power, the pressure extracts from us an ability, a divine ability and a new influence to go after everything that's been lost. Can I tell you, Pentecostal Tabernacle, that the person that you asked last year to come, I want you to ask them again because you got an influence that you didn't have last year. I want you to know that in 2016, God is renewing and restoring in you the power to pursue and recover. And if that is the case, then you can do now what you could not do before. Those of you that have given up on your dreams, you've given up on vision, you've given up on your hopes, I dare you to arise in God today and say, no, Lord, I'm going to trust you and pursue and recover because God is so powerful in your life. And I'm going to close here that he's got your enemy in a place where your enemy can't even function the way he'd like to. You're, listen, God is so sovereign. He's made your enemy act out of character. It's seen clearly here in the text because the Amalekites are not acting like themselves. They're dancing, they're partying, maybe got a Bud Light or two, I don't know. But they're having a good time. 
But these women and children, they're not touching. Now, if I was an Amalekite, thank God I'm not. But if I was, I'd have thought for a moment, what's wrong with us? Why are we not bothering these people? They're beautiful. Why are we not? Why are we over here dancing with with each other? We're acting like that doesn't belong to us. We're acting like we're not really Amalekites, the fierce killing tribe that we are. What's wrong with us? We're all gentle and crying. What's the matter with us? What's the matter with you is that what you have is not yours. It belongs to God. And when God puts his hand on it, no matter what your character is, you can't destroy what God covers. You can't take what belongs to God. Can I tell you that there's places, church, that we're going that many times throughout the American church we've kind of given up on, but it's time for us to shake our ourselves again and say, God, empower us to go after the things that have been lost so that those that are addicted and broken and marginalized and disenfranchised, they're not going to find hope anywhere else, but they can find it in you. They can find it in us. They can find it in the church. We can go after the broken that have been destroyed in our own families and outside of our families in the power of God, and we can recover all. So David fights from sundown to sundown. He gets everything back. Everything. So I want you to imagine one last exercise for you this morning. I want you to imagine that you've looked up your home because there were 200 of them that were too exhausted to fight and they stayed home. So let's imagine you were part of those guys that you were waiting on us to come back. You look up and you see David, mighty men, and you hear the laughing of children. And you hear the shouting of wives. And suddenly you realize that David is bringing it all back. You have looked up off into the distance and the smoke begins to rise. And the children's voices begin to go to the sky. And the shrieks of the ladies who finally see their husband they thought they would never see again. You hear all of that. I just want to ask you a question. When you see us coming down the road, what are you going to do? When you see us coming down the road, what are you going to do? When you see us making our way back, what are you going to do? When you see that God is restoring and recovering, what are you going to do? When you realize that God has done what he promised, what are you going to do? Are you going to sit there and look like you lost your best friend? Are you going to rejoice in God because God is a God of recovery? I challenge you by faith to see God in recovery mode and begin to do what you would do if you see it coming back. It's all coming back. It's all being restored. It's all being brought back into the camp. 
camp again. Nobody's been lost. Nobody died. Nobody got killed. All the sheep, all the goats, all the children, all the wives, everybody's well. Not a scratch on them. Nobody's bleeding. Nobody's hurt. Nobody's broken. Not a hair has been lost from their head. I just want to know what are you going to do, Pentecostal Tabernacle, when you see the broken of Cambridge rushing into this place? What are you going to do when you see those that have been disenfranchised and marginalized worshiping in this house? What are you going to do? Come on, stand with me and give the Lord the worship that he deserves. Come on, give the Lord glory. Come on, give the Lord praise. Come on, give the Lord honor. Come on, magnify the Lord with me. Come on, let's exalt his name together for the Lord is good. And his mercy endures to a thousand generations. While you're standing, I want you to bow your head for a moment. Thank you, Lord. Pursue and recover. Pursue and recover. Pursue and recover. That's the word of the Lord I hear over this house. Pursue and recover. It begins individually. Then it will leak into the corporate life of the church. In other words, you can't experience it corporately as a body if you don't start to experience some of that personally. So you personally have to engage your own faith and say, God, I'm going to trust you myself personally, pursue and recover. I'm going to hang in here and pursue. And in my pursuit, I'll fight it out until I see some recovery going on and I'm not going to just give up and turn around and say it can't happen. I'm going to trust you with things that I'd stopped trusting you for. See, Pentecostal Tabernacle needs you, my friend, to do that because our corporate faith is only as strong as the weakest one of us. So if we're going to corporately go after Cambridge, then we need you to go after the city of your own soul, the city of your own life. So that you, as you engage in this double anointing, this double empowerment, this doubly engineered phase of pursuit and recovery, you start to bring that back into God's house. And as you tell us what God is doing with you, it builds us up as a people. And we say, if God's doing it with you, then he'll do it with us all. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It's going to take courage. But God will give you courage. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you now for the power of your Holy Spirit working in this place. I want to thank you, Lord, for releasing a new level of courage and faith. I want to thank you, Lord, that at this very moment, you're transitioning us from worry into worship for a word. 
will direct us and redefine us in the days to come. And will cause us to run to the Amalekite camp and take back what's been stolen. We recognize the hand of God on our individual lives and on us as a church. We are determined to pursue and recover. We trust you for that. Just lift your hands as an act of surrender. Just ask the Lord, Holy Spirit, give me courage. In your own way, just Holy Spirit, give me courage. Holy Spirit, give me courage to pursue and recover. Tall and broken now.